0: Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is Saturday morning, and I'm drinking a hot cup of Bottom Gun Coffee from my friends at bottomguncoffee.com. I have another great show lined up for you, but before we get started, I just wanted to mention my new book. It's called You Have the Watch A Guided Journal to Become a Leader Worth Following. Now, this is a guided journal for leaders that will walk you through an entire year of leadership training. There are 50 themes in the book, and each day you will reflect on a different facet of that theme. This journal is designed to be on your desk, at work, and for you to read and reflect on it for about 15 minutes each morning. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. And this new journal helps leaders practice those skills. So if you're interested in learning more and pre-ordering this guided journal, go to youhavethewatch.com. Every book pre-ordered before March 31st enters you into a giveaway. The grand prize is a hand-carved wooden American flag from the Sasquatch Flag Company. Now if you're watching this uh, on YouTube, you'll notice it's the same flag that I have behind me when I'm on the podcast. So it's a beautiful flag, I love this thing, and uh, it's gorgeous, it's handmade, and you're going to love it. So that's our grand prize. Our second prize is a ruck case humidor. It's like portable humidor from the Warfighter Tobacco Company. We've got $50 gift box to the Sheepdog Soap Company, $50 gift card to Chin Up Chest Out Apparel. Another $50 gift card to Forbear Clothing Company. Five winners will get coffee from the Bottom Gun Coffee Company. And two winners will get a book called The White Arrow by Noble Brown. So get your pre-orders in before March 31st to get this great book and also to take advantage of this special offer. Now, if you're looking to support what I do on the show, uh, you can purchase any one of my books at johnsrunny.com. And podcast listeners can use the discount code DEEP. At checkout to get additional savings. Well, that is it. Today, my guests are Peter Desberg and Jeffrey Davis. Peter and Jeffrey are Hollywood insiders, and they have written an amazing book. It's called Pitch Like Hollywood What Can You Learn from the High Stakes Film Industry? Now, this book helps leaders become more persuasive and influential by incorporating the elements of the classic Hollywood pitch. This might be the most interesting book I've read this year, and I'm excited to have both of them on the show to talk about it. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Peter Desberg and Jeffrey Davis. Peter is a licensed clinical psychologist specializing in the area of stage fright and performance anxiety. Jeffrey is a successful writer-producer in Hollywood and a professor of film and TV writing at Loyola Marymount University. They are the authors of a new book called Pitch Like Hollywood. What can you learn from the high-stakes film industry. This book helps leaders become more persuasive in their presentations by incorporating elements of the classic Hollywood pitch, driving emotion, piquing interest, piquing curiosity, and ultimately winning over their audiences. Persuasion and influence is a big part of leadership, so I'm excited to have him on the show to talk about this topic. So Peter and Jeffrey, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Jeff. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Now, I'm excited about this. This is
0: really interesting. It's completely um, kind of off the normal topics we cover on this leadership show, but it's really critical and really important. And as I mentioned, persuasion, influence are a big part of leadership. So the thing I wanted to talk to you about really just, you know, to start us off, tell us a little bit about your, your, your different backgrounds and then how you came together to write this book. Peter?
2: <laughs> Well, my, my background is actually as a research psychologist, and then later I went back and got a clinical psych license because I wanted to be able to work with folks about the stuff that I learned, and I'd like to say I've been a boring university professor most of my life, but that's redundant, um, but if, if you want a little story, um, I taught a course for a while called Instructional Humor. And it was a course for public speakers, how to use humor to get their points across. And the thing that I found most interesting is everything was fine. We had fun each session until the end where they had to do stuff. And that's where I got to realize that the number one fear in America really was fear of public speaking. Yes. And, you know, Jerry Seinfeld has a great line. He says, you know, fear of dying is number five. He says, know that the next time you're at a funeral, most people would rather be in the coffin than delivering the eulogy. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) it's so true. And so I I got really interested in watching how scared people got and ways to get over it. And just the the one little thing I'll say is that uh, if we get a chance to talk about stage fright today, that it's not a haves and have nots. Like some people get it, some don't. It's situational everybody under the right circumstances will have it.
0: I agree. Yeah, that's a good point. You so, know, if,
2: I can, if I can throw in one more little story uh, that, that shows this point nicely, and I promise to be quiet. Um, <laughs> but I, I was very fortunate years ago to interview a man um, named Paul Solomonovich, who was the, the music director and conductor of the L.A. Master Chorale. And he told me that I went to Rome, and I did a performance with my choir at the, uh, at the Vatican in front of 5,000 people, the entire College of Cardinals and the Pope. And it was great, hand steady, never felt a lick of fear. A month later, I went to Atlanta with the same choir, doing the same program at the American Choral, Choral Conductors Conference and my hand was shaking like a leaf, I could hardly hold on to my baton. Yes. I mean, you can see how situational it is. The Pope is yeah. never gonna say, hey, on measure 52, you missed the downbeat, but those choral conductors, it would be a scandal.
0: Yes, you're mis- uh, presenting in front of your peers is a challenging, oh. it's very challenging. I've, I've done it before, so I know exactly wh- why that situation would be more nerve wracking, absolutely.
2: Oh, well, Jeffrey has a much more interesting background than I do.
1: <laughs> uh, no, uh, I, I'm third generation show business. My great uncle, who I never met, was a film composer. Um, my dad and my stepdad were writer producers. And um, my, uh, I had a stepmother who was part of the MGM I guess, you know, that that the Golden Age period and made a lot of Bob Hope movies, things like that. So I do come from that. Um, so I guess I did. I'm not one of those people that got off the bus with starry eyes and, you know, show business, because I saw both sides of it. Um, I, I got interested in this project when Peter brought it to me in its nascent stages, um, because I'm someone who, well, first of all, I don't think that stage fright and persuasion are talked about enough in books about pitching. And Peter's an expert on both. And uh, I'm one of those people who suffered greatly from fear um, for years. And so this is the kind of book that I thought I would like to read. So why not be part of writing it? So that's my story. And I'm going to stick to it because I... (laughs)
0: i love it and i think it's great and i've got a copy of the book for those people watching on youtube it's called pitch like hollywood and it's very bright and colorful you can't miss it when it's on the shelf
2: one of the the interesting things about how the book came about was jeffrey and i have done a couple of books where we interviewed well-known hollywood comedy writers Hmm. asking them how they do what they do and it was it was we're enormously proud of the book because we didn't do very much work on it Um, we, instead of saying, tell us how you write, we actually had them write mm-hmm. in real time while we watched. And as we were interviewing them, they all kept telling us stories about pitching. Mm. And so when we first started writing the book, it was going to be a book on how do you pitch in Hollywood. And then one of the things that we noticed, um, we were reading the uh, the Harvard edu- uh, the Harvard Business Review. And it showed you what boring lies are and mm-hmm. We, we came across an article by a couple of organizational psychologists, that's a nice way of saying business psychologists, <clears throat> who said we're going to do the biggest study ever done on pitching and we're going to go to the lion's den, the hardest place there is to pitch, Hollywood. And Jeffrey and I both looked at each other and said, why are we going to limit this to Hollywood? These principles are everywhere. They're omnipresent. Hmm.
0: Yeah, they really are. Yeah, and that's why that's why you guys are here on the show because I think it's it's an important part of leadership, especially as an entrepreneur. You're you're pitching all day long. You know, you're pitching to customers, investors, your your own employees. Uh, you're it's all about uh, influence and persuasion. So yeah, I think that if we can master the skills that come along with pitching a Hollywood movie or a show, then I think we can be very uh, effective in in our leadership roles as either in a small business or in a larger. Uh, organization, so absolutely, uh, so my question is like, explain what a Hollywood pitch is because I think I know what it is, but I, I only know it from what I might see on TV or you might see in in, in the movies or a show. So what is a Hollywood pitch? well, um,
1: i'll try to break that down and then I 'll have Peter come in and do the other half of it, so the Hollywood pitch is based on storytelling, which you know, Peter and I have done our share of business presentations, and and we've gone to uh, retreats and and spoken, and we've seen other people speak, and it's all, you know, it's it's it, you know, it's um, something's on a screen, people are looking at, they're not telling a story, so it starts with storytelling, and then the most important element in any story is conflict, mm. so. We decided that and Peter does this wonderful thing in the book where we we use the odd couple, the great odd couple as an example of a pitch. And we start with a hook and then a log line. You probably saw this in the book. And then we do a three act structure. And then Peter created the same adapted that to a pitch about a food app. And so we think it's universal but the thing that it has to have is character, conflict, a three act structure um, just enough so that the buyer, the person listening wants to know more. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the that's the thing that we think is missing from most business pitches. Um, that they're not telling you. And also the other element to me and then I'll let Peter take over is is what people come in and try to sell and selling is the last thing you want to do because mm. selling is being talked at. Nobody wants to be talked at. Um, what was that thing you just made? No, <laughs> like a no <laughs> sign, right? <laughs> no, um, <laughs> you want to start, we we think that part of the Hollywood pitch is there, you're there to start a conversation. Mm. Um, and and most of the pe- we talk to people across businesses, across industries, and they all said the same thing. Want to start a conversation, and I want to know why you, why now? Mm. That's not really selling. Yeah. And Peter will give you some more details about about that three-act structure.
2: Well, before I get to the three-act structure, um, in case people are having trouble going back to sleep this morning, I'll be an academic for a moment (laughs) and say that one of the things that actually drives all this is there's abundant evidence that storytelling is an intrinsic human function. And that if you want, you know, the main thing when you're, when you're talking to people is you want to be remembered. You want to be memorable in what you do. And people remember stories way better than facts, mm-hmm. way better than details. And so putting things in a story context, excellent for that. Um, I, I was working with a guy, um, he was a recent Stanford graduate, was on the fast track in investment banking. And he said, I get terrified every week because every week my, my, my bank gives me a, a new company to, to assess. And then I go in in front of the board and I have to present the information to see if they want to invest in it. And I look at a, a sea of glazed over eyes listening to this parade of numbers. And it's horrible to go through. And so we said, all right, let's play with three-act structure here. So in the first act, you know, it's where you explain the world you're in. Here's what's really happening. Here's the big picture. Here's the overview. When Jeffrey mentioned before, hooks and log lines are the biggest picture you can have. Because again, you want to always be oriented. You want to have an idea of of where are we. You don't want to jump in with that which is what this poor fellow was doing. And so in the first act, you lay out, here's this business, here's what it does, but here are the people involved, here are the issues. Act two is where you really generate the heart-pounding interest by stressing what Jeffrey was talking about, the conflict. So any problem that this business was having, any outstanding issues that they need to be aware of, that's where they hit them. Act two, you present all of that. Act three is your resolution. Now, the the real good Hollywood pitch holds back the ending, and what they're hoping for is that the audience will say, "Well, what happened next?" Because mm. that's what you really want. But but in in, in a business pitch, you, know, you gotta you gotta end it. You gotta tell them where it's going. But this is where you resolve everything. And the first thing that he discovered was. He came, he came back to me after the first or second time he tried this and said, it's amazing I cut out half the numbers. Mm. I was mm. just giving him a sea of numbers because they expected that. But now my criterion for including a number was, does it drive the narrative? Does it explain what the issues are that they're interested in? And by giving them fewer numbers, they were able to focus in on the key ones to help them make the decision."
0: Yeah, I love so he it. Was really,
2: he was really—he was really stunned, and he said the biggest compliment he got was all of his peers started using the same structure.
0: I love it. No, that's great. That's yeah. That's that's uh, so. Essentially, what the three acts are is is creating the stories. Like you said, stories become are more memorable for us. So the story pulls the listener along uh, through right. this. Here's the current state. Here's the conflict. And here's the resolution or the potential resolution in the case of trying to hold some hold that tension. Right. Uh, And Absolutely. uh keep that tension. And uh so so you you lay out a way that we can bring stories into our our pitches and our presentations through this through these three acts, which
2: is you really interesting. Out. Yeah, you laid yeah. that out really nicely. And, you know, when you hear Jeffrey talk about it, because, you know, he's. This is what he does he teaches screenwriting the two the two C words are the ones you hear all the time character and conflict mm. character important because if you don't care who cares how the conflict turns out yes and and so again in act 1 as you're setting the stage that's where you're revealing whether it's the character of the company the people involved you want some sort of buy in like I care about what happens here so then the conflict interests me and then I want to see how it's going to be taken care of. Right. I like this.
0: And, and, and to be honest with you, I mean, I've been in business for 30 years and and you don't see this, right? You don't see this in a typical pitch or a typical uh, when you're trying to convince somebody or get somebody on, on your team, you don't see that. You typically don't see somebody pitching a storyline uh, like this. So you'll see, you know, numbers, like you mentioned, a lot of numbers, a lot of details. But what's the story, and where are we in the story, and where do you want me, the listener, in that story? Which right. I think uh, that's something we can learn from the way you have to pitch in, in Hollywood. Um, no, but my me. question, Mike, well, go ahead, sorry. No, no, please, please, please. No, I was going to say, um, help us with the 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 hook and the log lines because I think oh. that might that's kind of I think we understand we might understand hook, but when it comes to a Hollywood pitch, what's a hook and a log line? What does that look like?
1: Let's let's go back to the Odd Couple, which is probably the most famous comedy of the twentieth American comedy of the twentieth century. Everybody steals it, so um, you know it's uh, the the hook is something is usually one line, one and a half line that gets you interested. So the hook in that story might be the neatest man in the world moves in with his best friend who is the sloppiest man in the world. They have all the same problems they had with their ex-wives and drive each other crazy. Um, That's a hook. makes me wanna know more. Hmm. Um, or actually the better one, cause that's more of a log line now that I think about it, cause that gives you more story. The hook would be the one that Peter came up with. I don't think Neil Simon thought of this, but the hook is saving your best friend's life. Can what's the
2: one? Saving your best friend's life can kill you.
1: Right, <laughs> that would be the hook. I had it backward, sorry about that. Um, so the log line is a little more expanded and that would be the, the first one that I pitched to you.
2: Um, By the way, to, get, to give you a little of Jeffrey's lineage, his mm-hmm. father was the showrunner for that series on TV.
0: <laughs> wow. I, I, I grew up watching that, you know, so it's, that's really wild. Yeah. Well, You'd
1: be a little <laughs> bit upset with me today that I got the logline. Uh, <laughs> but you get the point, so.
2: Yeah, yeah it's, it's getting that, that big picture view. So that you you get a sense of where everybody's going.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot. And- you know, um, look, Can I just
2: throw in one little thing? Yeah. You talked about, you know, we, we talked about what we see a lot in in business pitches particularly. And people are always concerned about, you know, they ask the D question, do you have a good deck? And, you know, you're going to see a PowerPoint presentation. Yes. And so it's permit me to be a, a cognitive scientist for a minute. <clears throat> One of the things that that we're very big on is when you're talking to people don't do anything but talk to them. And the worst thing you can do, um, I've seen people literally start out a pitch by giving out the business plan. Mm-hmm. One of the things, though, Jeffrey and I have some wonderful demonstrations that show that if I flash some text on a screen, you're going to read it, whether you intend to or not. You can't. We do one where literally we have a blank screen. We say, look at this rectangle. I'm going to flash words in it. Don't read them. (laughs) Of course, by third word, everybody's cracking up because you can't not read them. Yeah. Well, we also talk a lot about multitasking which is something that humans are not wired to do. Mm-hmm. We have some great examples. If anybody is a doubter, you can, we're not wired for multitasking. Well, the problem is, if I'm, if I'm giving my, my, my pitch, and I've got a bunch of bullet points on a screen, yep. first of all, they're gonna look at them. Yep. So already, if I've got two choices, I can consolidate the message by reading my bullet points, that's instant death, and I'll tell you why in a sec. Or, I'm saying one thing and the bullet points are saying something else, and they're getting part of each message, but not the whole thing of either.
1: Yeah.
2: Now, just uh, let me throw out a couple of boring facts, because if people are too stimulated, facts will always bring them down. <laughs> the average college-educated person reads approximately 250 words per minute. Our average Speech, um about 125 words a minute. If you're good at math, you read twice as fast as you listen. So if I'm reading bullet points, people are standing there drumming their fingers saying, Why is he talking in slow motion? I, I'm already on the third bullet wow. point. He's yeah. doing the first. It's making me crazy. Never. Well, do that's
0: that. a that's a nugget right there, you know, for our listeners, uh, people you're reading, you're reading twice as fast as you're hearing the presenter. So that's why people get frustrated when you're never like, I got it. the point already. I saw the slide. Yeah.
2: The, the rule we use is if you're going to use PowerPoint, which is a great tool, use it for what you can't say, use it for graphics.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Because you can't say pictures and pictures tell lots of words. Mm-hmm. but but use it for that don't use it to duplicate what you do because words just sit there but when you talk you've got pitch you've got loudness yeah, you've got yeah. all of these vocal qualities that any good speaker uses and those words just sit there with a circle in front of them
1: yeah you know, you know, there's another there's 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 another aspect to this off of what Peter's giving you is when we one of the people we interviewed, who is a very old friend of mine, uh, a producer named Nicole Fox, who absolutely she talks in the book about how much she hates iPads in a, in a pitch, and it's a sl- it's an it's a corollary to what Peter's talking about. She's like it it prevents me from having a conversation with you. I'm focused. I don't know who you are, and the, the truth is. Nobody is going to buy anything from somebody who they don't feel comfortable and safe around and get yeah. to know yeah. so so i I think that's another thing that that bullet points and presentations do. Peter taught me this years ago that we we went to a conference and there was somebody who was reading with his his the the piece of paper which had exactly the same thing on it that was up on the ah. you know on the powerpoint and his face was covered and he ah. said the one thing that you never ever say in a in any pitch or presentation don't look at me is basically what he was saying is i he said yeah yeah, yeah. he said i'm nervous <laughs> Yeah. This is the thing I learned early on when I was pitching very badly because I I'm a believer, you know, not everybody agrees with me, but I'm a believer that you don't learn as much from from doing something right as from your mistakes. Yes. You know, um, I'm sure having been in the service, you know that well. Right. Yeah. We talked we talked about on
0: the show a lot. And yeah, mistakes are great teaching Uh, tools.
1: Yes. And uh, so um, you 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 are you are ask you're calling attention to yourself believe me most people know that pitching is you know not a natural it's not it can be uncomfortable but if you engage other people then you take the attention off yourself and you make it uh like as if you were at a party as if you were and that's how I've learned to do it over the years. Is let, me,
2: to... let me add a point here that, you know, Jeffrey keeps stressing rightfully that a good pitch is a conversation. Yeah, We have a great story. Um, I was interviewing the head of a, uh, uh, an advertising com- uh, company, an ad agency called The Designery. They have the Audi account. They have the Nissan account. They're, they're doing quite well. And she told me a story about when she was just starting out and she went out on a, on a pitch with her art director. And the art director said, we've got six different ad campaigns here. What do you think? Oh. And the guy looked at him and said, I hate every one of them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And she's thinking, that's it. We're done. It's over. And this guy kind of smiled and looked at the fellow and said, tell me which one you hate the least. <laughs> <laughs> That's and that great. opened up a conversation yes. yeah. about what they were really looking for, how yeah. they wanted to be presented, and they made the sale. We'll be right back after a
1: quick word from our sponsors. One ping only, please. As I thought, John Rennie's new book, All in the Same Boat, is right over there. It's at allinthesameboatbook.com. Your orders are to get there now. And remember, be careful what you shoot at. Most things in here don't react too well to bullets.
2: Life is hard,
1: but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on ElectricCast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head,
0: we've got you covered. ElectricCast. You, you say this in the book, and I think it's really important, is you start selling
2: at no. Yeah. Yes. And again, it's selling is such an odious thing that when yeah. all else fails... That's when you start selling.
0: When it starts at no. And then you also say in the book, and I love this because I I learned this early in my career, is when they say yes, you shut up.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. Just stop
2: exactly. when you get to yes. I, I, was in a,
1: uh, I was in a meeting, I'm telling you. I was in a meeting the other day, and everybody in the meeting said, yes, that's a great idea. And the person just kept yeah. talking. I've and seen it. it was a really... <laughs> important meeting and everyone else had somewhere to be that's the other thing that i think we try to talk about in the book um, uh, producer P- producer manager peter heller talks about having empathy for the buyer yeah and i think that isn't considered enough in either leadership or in 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 in, in, in sales and in pitching um you know, they're people too. Their time is valuable. I, this thing that happened to me yesterday, we were all, even if we weren't wearing watches, we were looking at our pretend watches or our computers and because it was on Zoom and we were all thinking, you got a yes 15 minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. And you were still telling us why we should do this. I
2: don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> Invis- yeah then you start, yeah. That's yeah. danger, overselling, right? In, in academe, we dread meetings. Yeah. And I had a boss years ago that in the first meeting, he said, okay, nobody sit. We stand during the entire meeting.
1: Yeah, yeah we do that. Over
2: so yeah. quickly. And yeah. if anybody dared to ramble, he That's got it. That's it. You see I, was everybody. Chair,
1: I was chair for 10 years at uh, in the screenwriting department. And um, I used to complain frequently to Peter about um, how long these meetings went on because people had to th- say the same thing four or five times. He said, take the table and chairs out of the room. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> we do a stand-up meeting in my, in my. I run, a, I run a manufacturing company. We do a stand-up meeting every morning and it's, it's yeah. five, 10 minutes because we don't like, nobody likes standing. <laughs> so we get it done quick. And we go on with the day. So it makes yeah. sense.
2: When we first started chatting, you said that you wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about persuasion yes that's the next topic <laughs> so i'm, going to I'm to persuade you to talk about that for a minute
0: yeah um, yeah so so what do we need to know as as leaders as we're pitching as we're trying to convince people what do we need to know about the art of
2: persuasion uh i would say chapter five six and seven <laughs> yes let i let know me stretch,
1: let me stretch that out a little bit <laughs> which by the way we don't have yet <laughs> you haven't
0: Wait, you
2: don't have a copy of the book and i do
1: <laughs> exactly
2: exactly so one of the first things to understand is that persuasion generally happens below the level of awareness. Mm-hmm. As you're being persuaded, you don't realize it's happening unto you. Um, one of my favorite studies that we, we talk about in the book, college students were divided into two groups. They, they gave each group a bunch of words and said, take these words and fashion them into different sentences. Just make different sentences out of them. Sort of a jumble game unbeknownst to them one group had words that indicated youth and the other old age you know there were subtle words like wrinkle and gray and yellow and fast and and then they said okay now you've spent you know 15 minutes making these sentences the next part of the study is down at the end of this long corridor in that office over to the left what they didn't know is the real experiment was they timed them to see how fast they'd walk. Mm. And the group that had the the youth words were way faster than the group that had the the old words. They didn't say a word that this phenomenon is called priming, and just playing with those words changed their behavior afterwards. And when they asked them later, are you aware that? No, not even a clue. So, so much of this stuff happens... Underneath the level of awareness. Now, um, if I can very quickly plug another book, which is the best book I've probably ever read. Um, there's there's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, Daniel Kahneman, a Princeton professor and Nobel Prize winner in economics. Brilliant, brilliant book. And without telling you what's in this 350 page book, he, he talks about one very interesting thing. He says. People don't like to think really hard, but they have the fantasy that they do. Mm-hmm. So when you ask them, I just gave you this difficult, important situation in your life. Did you really think it through or did you just kind of use your intuition? They all say, no, I thought it through. And then he demonstrates why they did not, and they use their intuition. Now, intuition sounds like a flighty term, but it's, it encompasses everything you know, Everything you believe in, every bias that you have, very powerful thing. And it enables you to get through the day. Well, you would also mention in one of your your questions to us, why is preparation so important? Yeah. And the reason is the more you know about the person you're pitching to, the better you can present it to him in terms that will hit him intuitively. Because the minute you make somebody go into deep thought, they don't like it, which means they don't like you as the agent that made them do it. But worse than that is because it doesn't fit into their worldview easily, they're now way more skeptical. Yes. It's the last yeah. place you want to get somebody when you're trying to persuade them to go your way.
0: Yes. You you uh, you guys both mentioned it earlier was empathy to the listener. What you know, and part of empathy is knowing knowing your audience, right? Who am I pitching to? Exactly. Who am I trying to convince? What are, and then if it's if it's one person, you better know a lot about that person, right? And what their tendencies are. And because you, you want to make sure to address it in the way that they're, that convince them, more likely to convince them.
2: Well, let me tell you a quick story, if I may. Um, we, we interviewed the number two guy at Boeing. Wow. And he told us a great story that a woman came in and said, we want Boeing to be part of this project. We want to have a competition for the first person to be able to do a standalone flying machine. And Boeing said, well, this looks great for us to be, you know, looking at this forward looking thing, comma, but. But. (laughs) And you can see where the blood comes in or it's what they land on if it doesn't work well. So somebody could die doing this. He said, this woman was so brilliant. She was an attorney and talked about how they can fix the liability so it never attaches to Boeing. They said, we'd like you guys to be in on the first part of this, which is looking at development, which is what you do, then we'll move you out when it comes to the testing of it so that none of this will be associated with you. So she was immediately saying, I'm putting myself in your place and I'm making sure that nowhere will the bad stuff attach to you. Mm-hmm. She was totally empathic mm-hmm. and understood where they would balk and why it wouldn't work for them, and mm-hmm. pitched it showing that she understood that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Right. He said he was
2: completely taken aback and charmed.
1: Yeah. I think that um what uh, what you asked the question about. So you, you're in question also implied preparation. So obviously she knew who she was pitching to and she knew what the stakes were. My, um, I would tell, there's a story that is also in the book. It's Toyota. And um, I'll just give, I'll give it, I'll give you the short version. A guy came into, uh, into see the top executives at Toyota who we also interviewed and um, had a briefcase. He was in flip flops and cutoffs, and and um, he had a briefcase. And he said that inside the briefcase, he had a solution to making it possible for the cars, for Toyota cars, to get better gas mileage. He never opened the briefcase. They're all thinking we're spending billions of dollars a year. To try to do this very same thing. And the guy never, never tells us how. He never actually made the pitch. He didn't do his homework, didn't know anything about the people. And that's the dark side of what can happen to you when, when you come in. I also would say that there's a very famous uh, writer in, in Hollywood named Larry Kasdan who wrote one of the early Star Wars movies and has written a lot of other movies. And he said, being a writer, and I think this applies to everybody. He said, being a writer is having homework for the rest of your life. I saw and, I and saw
2: in
0: the book.
1: It's great, isn't it? And <laughs> yeah, and and so if you're, you know, Peter's favorite illustration of this, but I'll tell it is, if you're going in to pitch a Western and you don't do your homework and find out that the guy hates Westerns, yes you're dead on arrival there's no there's no hope and and really i think what's happened to me when i've been pitched to is a lot of people haven't done the research they don't know the kinds of stories that would interest me i i i tell my students that's as important as the project you're pitching because they may say we don't want to do this project or that's we're doing something like it. You want them to like you so that they might call you back. The whole, the whole thing, that goes back to the conversation again, I think, John. Yeah,
2: I really and, do. And think Jeffrey is funny. talking about something really interesting here that- Really? Am I? <laughs> <laughs> first time for everything. Um, that every pitch has two intentions. One is obviously the project that you're pitching But the other is getting them to say to themselves, this is somebody I'd like to work with. This is somebody I'd like to be in business with. And Jeffrey can tell you legion stories where somebody comes in with a screenplay. They don't buy it. Three weeks later, there's a phone call. Hey, we just got a novel. We want adapted to a screenplay. We like your writing. Come on in. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it
2: was as much because of the way they got along. That's just yeah. their talent.
0: So you're selling yourself as well. Exactly. And it's, it's, you're not just selling the project; you're selling no. yourself. Yeah. And, again,
2: and again, the way you see this is, you know, how do you take feedback? Yeah. Do you get yeah. defensive or do you look thankful that you're getting something? At all? We, you know, it's interesting that people who aren't very good at pitching, and this is particularly rampant in Hollywood, get enormously defensive. And you get the attitude of, wait a minute, I'm the writer. You're just a producer. You don't know how to write. You're telling me what to do. And that's a great way to be ushered out of a room. Yeah. yeah. And what you're always looking for is. Let me have it. Give me more. Mm-hmm. And what you're really doing is fostering a creative collaboration. Yes. Right. And yeah. the irony is half the time they don't even remember what they told you at the time. <laughs> and you don't even have to do it. But it doesn't matter. You want you want them to do it. And in the book. We actually give some some techniques so that if they're not coming out with ideas for you, how you can get some some ideas pulled out of them, how you can encourage them to do
1: it. This is you cool. know, um, this, is so this is because I I don't want to leave today without addressing leadership because I think having <laughs> had some of the and it's a leadership podcast. Yes, and um, I think I've had some of the worst bosses in history. And um, as Peter says, I, I, you can learn um, more sometimes from what's a bad boss as you can from what's a good boss. So I've had everybody from uh, screamers to people who throw iPhones and kick over to coffee tables. I had one boss say to me, I know, I I know I asked you for your opinion, but I didn't really think you'd give it to me. Uh, um, So, I think what makes great leadership, and I try to emulate it when I was chair and when I produced, um, I was lucky to have great mentors, is listening, collaborating, and maybe maybe most of all, being inclusive and not thinking you have. You know, um, I had one boss who who really just wanted our approbation, our approval, and and really wasn't interested in our opinions at all and i and i think that that's not good leadership good leadership is coming like when you when you're a new leader and you come into any corporate culture and try to change it right away that's a big mistake and i and i and so we learned that a lot in research there's a lot that unfortunately because the book had a certain page count we couldn't get into the book there's a lot more about leadership that didn't get in. There's some about leadership in the book, yeah, but yeah. not as much as we would have liked because we didn't since, have. Since
2: Jeffrey's opened this door, let me just tell you two quick studies that I think are interesting in terms of leadership. One was a, an education study where they looked at what makes students like teachers, who I think are supposed to be leaders. And I was, I, it's one of those things where um There's an old joke about why certain people um, have round shoulders and flat foreheads. You ask them a question, you tell them the answer. Um, I hope they could see that, otherwise it didn't make much sense. But the single variable that, that made students like their teachers is feeling that their teachers cared about them. That one thing trumped everything else, how clear they were, how funny they were, nothing else even came close. But the other one is a much more boring study because I did it, um, and so it was a chance to tap my own research, but it's one you may not have run across, where we looked at, we had employees rate their supervisors on their sense of humor. And the first thing we found out was that your assessment of humor correlates with everything that's good. If you're rated high on humor, you're rated high on intelligence, on creativity, nice everything. But the part of the study we found really interesting was then we said, okay, within humor, there's two basic types. There's hostile humor, Mm -hmm. and there's more supportive humor. And what we found, and I think this is really critical in leadership and not talked about nearly enough, is I think one of the most important traits for a leader to have is being approachable. Because if somebody's scared to come to you, terrible things can happen and you don't find out till way too late. Right. And people who had a, a hostile sense of humor, hey, nice tie, you know, did you mop up your coffee with it, are not as approachable. And people who are more likely to make self-effacing jokes yep. and yep. kinder jokes are much more approachable. And, and people will come up to them and when things are tough and know they can talk to this person more easily.
0: Wow, that's, that's a nugget i didn't know was going to come out of this podcast uh this is really <laughs> i love it the this, the idea of humor and i talk about humor humor was a big part of our life on under the ocean because well <laughs> <laughs> we, we faced a lot of adversity so humor was a way to get through the day and uh so yeah I, humor is a big part of leadership and and uh, i i'm glad to hear that the studies back up what i i've noticed over my career is that the people who like you said are uh you know, can 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 they're more approachable when they seem to have a sense of humor and, and they and especially when they take light of themselves. You know, I always say take your job seriously, but not yourself. And I yeah, think that's a big yeah, part yeah. of nicely being a, said being a great leader. Yeah, this, very definitely. Well Yeah, said. I didn't expect that nugget uh, when we went down uh, into this book, but listen, we're wrapping up for the day. This is a really that you we have just. Uh, for the listeners on the show, we have just scratched the surface. This is an amazing book. Um, again, I'll hold it up for those on YouTube. It's called uh, Pitch Like Hollywood. Uh, and when does it come out, guys?
2: We just found out it's delayed two days. Okay. Uh, supposed to be out on February 15th. So we were having a, a big, big Valentine's push. But it uh, didn't turn out <laughs> that way. But it's coming out in about two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks. and we're But, gonna- but today... You can go right on Amazon and be guaranteed of a lower price if you uh, pre-order it. It is available. There's the pitch pre-order. right there. Exactly. <laughs> so, where, um, so
0: where can, can people find out more about it. the book? Where can they go to find more about the book?
2: Um. Well, we do, we do have a website. Um, if you remember our names, it's pretty easy because the website is uh, desbergdavis dot Um.
0: Okay, sounds good. And I'll put that uh, in the show notes so people can link great, over to it. Again, the, uh, the book is Pitch Like Hollywood, What You Can Learn from the High Stakes Film Industry. And um, guys, uh, Peter and Jeffrey, it's really uh, been great to meet you, to hear about uh, your stories, to read this book and learn a little bit more about the idea of pitching. So thank you for being on the show and sharing all of these uh, these thoughts and ideas. Well thank, well, thank you for you.
2: making this so easy and so much fun. You are very, very good at your job. You know, I, I looked at the, at the clock and said, wait, where did that go? <laughs> yes, I know. But that's
0: okay. It was really good stuff. And uh, we went a little over time, but that happens. And I really appreciate you guys being on the show and, and we sharing really all this, enjoyed. All this I'm good you,
2: We really enjoyed this a lot.
0: Thank you.
1: For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Hey there, I'm DC. I host The Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, The Interview."
2: Electric acid. Electric Podcast.
1: Welcome to Tuning In to Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul.